0: The following Agio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast.
1: What's up, Cheat Codes listeners? It's me, Dr. Z. And me, Dr. C. Dr. C, we've been getting into a lot of cool things here at
2: ASH. Yeah, this has been a great ASH so far, and it's just getting started.
1: Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And the best part always of Cheat Coats has been having patients with lived experience when it comes to sickle cell disease. Spending time with the advocates is the best part for me.
2: For sure. You know, the thing about Cheat Coats, we have the best guests. That's so true. That's so true. And, and today
1: we've got three of the best with us here today. We've got Ms. Tiana Wolford, we've got Ms. Cassandra Trimnell, and then we've got Ms. Ray Blalark, all top-notch the best in the game as far as sickle cell advocacy goes. Absolutely, what a lineup. Yeah, so let's get to it. Welcome. Welcome to the 3U. Thanks,
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you,
4: it's an You're honor up. to be Thanks. here.
3: Not <laughs> <laughs> always is that, Is that gonna happen this episode? Is, is that what we're doing? Probably. <laughs>
1: ASH is a very important meeting in the sickle cell space and really has become where people come together to share the what's happening and the It's hot currently, particularly in sickle cell disease, and we were looking through some of the conversation happening around important topics in sickle cell disease. And the reason that we've assembled this quote-unquote Avengers of sickle cell advocacy is to talk about one of the important pieces that came out of this, and then it relates to a lot of the work you do, Tiana, but it also relates to a lot of the experiences that Mm -hmm. Cass and Ray have. And this is around reproductive health. T, how do you feel about reproductive health and sickle cell disease? Tell me all about it.
5: Well, you know, it pretty much eats up 90% of my time. So I am very excited. There's quite a few reproductive health sessions happening. One of them by my co-founders, Dr. Lydia Pecker. And I'm just really excited to see all of the abstracts and see reproductive health finally trending in sickle cell disease.
2: That's a new thing. Nice I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing that before. And I think I know why it's happening.
5: I think I have some idea.
1: (laughs) Jess, when you interface with SC101, the global following, does this come up? Reproductive health, pregnancy, is that a topic you guys touch? All
3: the time. Like we host lives biweekly and we always get questions around women's health, pregnancy, family planning. It is one of those top topics. So it's important that we're discussing this today.
1: That's awesome. I'm so happy that we're doing this. So we had to obviously isolate and pick an abstract that captured this part of the disease in the most broad way. So I'm going to pull in my co-host here for his scientific knowledge. Dr. Callahan, we were uh, looking at this abstract by Dr. Deva Sharma from Vanderbilt University, who's uh, someone we've worked with previously. Actually got your and
2: my first publication in the Journal of Women. Yeah, I brag about that to my wife all the time. <laughs> she doesn't think that qualifies me as an expert in women.
1: I, I I think she's right. I think she's right. So Dr. Sharma did something really unique. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of just the scientific methodology of the process that she went through?
2: Sure, yeah. So a lot of times when there's areas where there's not a lot of knowledge or people have disagreements and it's not clear what the right thing to do for patients is in specific situations, they'll put together what's called a Delphi panel. And a Delphi panel is a group of experts that come together and you can do it in different ways. You can do it with repeat surveys or you can do it in person, but you start with a set of questions and you get everyone's opinion on it. And the first pass, a lot of times the opinions will be pretty varied, And then you have a discussion and you try to get to a consensus so people support their ideas and give and take. And then you go back through those questions again and see if you get to a closer alignment on the answers. And by the end, what you hope is you have this group of experts who can come up with good consensus answers that all the experts can agree on for the questions that you have before you. So here... They did that around questions of how to manage sickle cell disease during pregnancy. And it's a really challenging topic I feel for these experts because there's a lack of data in a lot of these areas. A lot of what we do, we like to have randomized controlled trials and really answer a question with data. And unfortunately, In pregnancy in general, and especially in in women with sickle cell who are pregnant, there aren't those studies. So you have to do a lot of thinking about best practices, cases, anecdotes about how I've treated a patient and this is how it turned out. Or some people will do like a retrospective review of a few cases, but you don't have really high quality data. So in spite of that, I think they were able to come to some reasonable consensus and also identify areas where more work needs to be done to, to answer those questions.
1: Yeah, and we're, and we're going to dive into that. And I, I want to pull our guests in here and just get a sense of the conversations that you guys have with warriors in general. When you think about pregnancy, when you think about the issues around the management of sickle cell disease through pregnancy, what are the things that you guys think about? What are the questions that sometimes you guys have or have heard that are really common or typical from individuals living with sickle cell disease?
5: Well, I know one of the main questions that I get as the CEO of SC Red is, can I even get pregnant? Can I have a baby? A lot of women with sickle cell have come to me and said that their doctors have told them not to. I had a couple of women even tell me that their doctor was really persistent that they get their tubes tied as soon as they became sexually active. It's really unfortunate. I also have women who call me a lot going into their pregnancies wanting to know what the standard of care is. And I'm not able to tell them because there is not one. And this burden, the fact that there is no disease-modifying therapy that you can stay on, so this lack of access to care. But I think that there's kind of a positive spin now that we are in this new space where reproductive health is being prioritized. At least we do have these researchers and doctors who realize that there is a gap and they are willing to look into it more. So I think that you got to start somewhere. It's overwhelming for a lot of women, I think. Yeah,
4: I hear from a lot of the community, really, should I have one? What do I do about my own health when my if I decide to have children? If I have a family, how am I going to balance keeping me healthy and being present for my child? And so there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And I think sometimes there's this assumption that it's not something that's planned or thought about. But I would argue that young girls are starting to think about it very early on it's part of their self identity journey is to kind of explore what do i want as a family and that typically includes having children and the experience of having children and our goal as patient advocates ultimately is to ensure that they have a positive experience with positive outcomes and so that's what we're here for and to your point Dr. C and you made the same point Tiana is this has been a gap and there's now more research happening there's now more chatter and conversation happening and that's how we change the trajectory of anything we have to start talking about it so that we can ask the right questions.
1: Anything? What do I
3: say after that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have
1: a you have a, a you have a unique opinion in yeah. this in this group here.
3: Sure. So I am a mother. I'm a you know an uh, individual living with sickle cell disease, but I'm also a mother. Yeah. Growing up, I thought I couldn't have a child, so I thought I just wouldn't be a mom, and always carried that fear with me. In if I did have a child or if I did get pregnant. That would be life-threatening to me. And so it was very nerve-wracking, the entire process. There's a lot of unknown in this. And, you know, I tried to find resources available to understand what I was going through a little bit better. And there wasn't anything other than the fact that, you know, I'd known like one or two people who had had kids. So I'm really, really glad to see there's interest in this and, yeah. you know, Tiana is working in this and it is such a huge gap. And just throughout the years in, in the work that we've done, we've seen an uptick in interest in reproductive health. We get so many questions. Menstrual health, does that trigger a crisis? Priapism, just all of this. And this is what the community said is important to them, honestly. Right. And it's kind of glossed over in by researchers and by healthcare providers. So I'm glad it has a front stage.
0: Agios is a biopharmaceutical company that's fueled by connections with patient communities, healthcare professionals, patients, and each other. Building on these connections and the company's unmatched leadership in the field of cellular metabolism, Agios is pioneering therapies of genetically defined diseases a broad group of rare and more common diseases that are typically severe and life-threatening. Near-term, Agios is focusing on hemolytic and acquired anemias, including sickle cell disease, pyruvate kinase, or PK deficiency, and thalassemia. To learn more, visit agios.com. That's A-G-I-O-S dot com. So now coming to this abstract, You guys
1: have spent a lot of time with sickle cell physicians. You know they have a lot of opinions. So what do you think happens when you put 13 sickle cell doctors and other types of doctors in a room together and ask them to agree on something? How do you think that ends up being... Do you think they agree on things?
4: I think it's really difficult to agree on most things sickle cell. I think that it is a matter of exposure. And how long have you been working with individuals with sickle cell disease? What is the diversity of the patient population that you've seen? And so you're going to have different opinions. Some may have been trained by a physician who may have influenced the way that they think about it. I have found that rarely, if ever, is there clear consensus on anything related to sickle cell yeah and, and you're exactly
1: right when we look at what this panel comes to find they sort of find that there's consensus for some of the broad and very general things around pregnancy and sickle cell disease which is the use of prophylactic transfusions in one way or another and and see doctors frequently and see and doctors every frequently. four week visits the really interesting thing for me here is there's a relationship in what they find and that goes to what tiana is building and what the community knows which is the doctors don't agree on things that have less research that have not been explored already by the academic world. That's where they're disagreeing. That's where they can't come to a decision together. And that highlights this very important need that Cass was just talking about that Tiana fights for every day, which is how do we change that? How do we generate that information? How do we get to consensus?
5: Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. I actually I'm excited, but I also have a little bit of anxiety because in the first of the year, I'm convening a panel of doctors, hematologists, OBGYNs, maternal fetal medicine specialists, just everybody, REI doctors to kind of see exactly what you're asking. Like, how do we come to consensus? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, there are warriors suffering and who are completely overwhelmed by this idea of pregnancy. And like Cass said, I mean, things like pain after sex. And what's exciting for me is that even though with SC Red our mission is very specific to reproductive health, I think that there's this broader message there that we don't want to be boxed in, like we're whole people. And so SCRED gives us this opportunity to kind of revision sickle cell because we're whole people. So it's no longer enough to just talk about pain and fatigue. We also have to work on implementing reproductive health care into standard of care for sickle cell. And so I'm excited to have that conversation. And, you know, I'm going to try to facilitate it the best I can and see if we can indeed come to a consensus about this.
4: You know, I also think that it's not necessarily that the lack of agreement is a bad thing. I think that that in and of itself reveals where more studies, more understanding, more research is needed. And so when you're having these robust conversations with these experts and they can't agree, I think that is telling in and of itself. And that really helps to narrow down. Really what we need to get more information on, more research, identify really what are the best practices. And then the other side of that is I think the conversation removes stigma layer at a time. And so being able to provide a safe space for young girls who are just entering into their sexuality, who may not have the words and may not understand how to explain what they're going through, or even what their fears are of the future. Knowing that there's conversation happening, not just amongst the healthcare professionals, but also amongst your peers in the community, people who look like you, people who have a similar experience, allows you to feel freer and safer to even talk about some of the challenges that you have, or even just the questions you have along the way.
1: I think that that's such a valuable point. That, that there is a lot of value in exactly what, what you just highlighted, which is having these doctors come together and disagree is also a very valuable valuable tool that we can run with. Absolutely. So this panel, this panel of, of individuals, all experts in their own right with transfusion medicine, hematology, etc., cetera, OBGYN, come from four or five countries, United States, United Kingdom, Turkey, France. To me, Ray, you highlighted something about this group of individuals that was, I think, quite telling. You want to share that?
4: Yeah, I think that it's so often when we talk about advances in medicine and we talk about newly created access to care or we're working on access to care models, we cannot forget low resource environments and the importance of scaling for environments. But if we don't start with that in mind, we find ourselves playing catch up down the road. And that leapfrog actually creates more inequities in these low resource countries because they're constantly playing catch up while we're making advancements. And so I simply say, are we thinking about what this could look like, how we would translate this in a low-resource area to ensure that we are not just thinking myopically about our own equity, but it really is international equity.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's a very valuable point. The other piece of pregnancy that is really sort of what makes it very complicated is that it's two lives at once. So you're dealing, of course, with the mother who has sickle cell disease, but she's got a child inside of her that will be born and we know there can be certain troublesome points with that first few weeks of life the first few months of life in that newborn so we know that individuals with sickle cell disease potentially have a higher chance of preterm labor right or lower birth weight what do you guys hear from the community about the care of a newly born child to a mother with sickle cell disease
3: what i can say to that is i know Dealing with pain as a new mother is an issue at hand. My sister gave birth to her third child last week and immediately, not immediately, but two days after she went into a pain crisis after delivering, we were fighting to get her care transferred from her OBGYN back to her hematologist. And so there really are nuances to the situation. You really have to think thoroughly through all of this because one misstep can be everything, right? And so it's a very tricky situation. Do we, you know, mothers, some mothers want pain medication um, if they're in pain while pregnant. Some mothers don't. I know I didn't want any type of medication while I was pregnant and that was dealing with that pain by yourself without the aid of pain medication. That's in itself. It's it's a whole nother uh, ball game. So there's a lot to discuss around. Yeah. yeah. And, I,
5: and I hear that a lot too. Like a lot of mothers are really reluctant to take their pain medication, mm-hmm. worried that their baby will come out with neonatal abstinence syndrome, addicted to those opioids. And that's one of the things that SURED advocates for is that this really takes a multidisciplinary approach. And it's important to have your OB, your OBGYN, every specialist in the room from the very beginning. And that's also one of the things that we're working on in 2023 is developing birthing plans so that women do not have to make these decisions alone and can kind of have a manual and a guidebook. And you know, we're bringing in doulas and all types of specialists to work.
3: Yeah, there's birthing with us. plans. I had a birthing plan. They didn't stick to it. Really? I hear that a lot. I didn't too. stick to it. So don't be fooled. Like I was very meticulous. Yeah. About what I wanted and what I didn't want. And when it came down to it, they threw that thing out the window. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. I'm glad that you brought up the birthing plans because I oftentimes, I mean, I've been in the advocacy space for almost 20 years. And I've heard so many different perspectives on if I should take medications, if I shouldn't. But one that stands out a lot to me is what if I take medications and they find it in my baby and they take my baby away? Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it's this is another reason why it's important that we're having the conversation and particularly in healthcare spaces, so that there's familiarity and understanding right. and empathy, right? There's obvious expertise that's needed, but there's a level of maternal and paternal, just parental empathy that's needed. I would say the same thing about the bonding. Those first 24, 48 hours of bonding with that baby are really difficult as the person who's gone through it with sickle cell and the toll that it's taken on the body versus that baby's need to be to have that skin-to-skin contact, depending on what the medical condition of the mother and the child, that could be interrupted. And so that has to be part of the plan as well, because there's so many emotions that are going on. You really need to have a healthy start. And that's part of a healthy start.
5: Right. And it brings awareness to kind of even a broader conversation that's happening all around the country about Black maternal mortality. Yes. I have so many Black women, women with sickle cell, who are telling me... A high-risk OB, I don't want anything to do with the hospital. Like, I do not want to give birth in a hospital. A lot of people are like, I'd rather just have a doula and do a water birth. I don't know if that's safe with all that water cooling the skin, if that's right. going to send you into a crisis. And so, again, it's just, it's overwhelming. And um, I'm just glad that we're finally starting to have these conversations, like you were saying, right? and hopefully get to some solutions and some answers.
1: Well, I feel like we could talk about this all day, but I think there's something beautiful in... These types of discussions that come from scientific conferences like this, right? We've got a little bit of a spotlight, and it, it's really important that we continue to to shine that spotlight on the disparity within the disparity. We're really looking forward to seeing what SC Red does in 2023. But you know, in your individual advocacy spaces beyond SC Red, SC 101, Sickle Cell Minnesota, this is going to be something that is never going to go away. We're going to have to keep talking about pregnancy and the care of individuals with sickle cell disease who get pregnant. And we're going to continue to have to put these doctors and experts in rooms together and then try to figure out the best way to do this. One of the things that stood out to me before we go is it's a panel of physicians talking about the management of sickle cell disease patients. But to me, there was one party missing from this
4: this consensus. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And and I think that that's important for us to keep in mind is that we we really want to make sure that the patient's voice is represented in these types of settings.
3: And
5: shout out to Ash, honestly, because I think for so long, honestly, we did not really feel welcome. Like it felt very scientific, but they now have these kind of new initiatives that they're doing to include the patients. They're convening a lot of panels with researchers, warriors, caregivers together. And now they have this new thing where if you have a nonprofit, you can come for free, well, free registration. And so, um, you know, I think that it's a really exciting time in Sickle Cell where we're finally all sitting at the same tables. I don't know what happened with this particular one. And also, just from my standpoint, I do want to thank Kaz and Ray because both of them have really just embraced the mission of SC Red so much. And that's a huge part of why we've been so successful in a short time is because really so many community advocates and leaders have really embraced this mission. And so they've both done so much in reproductive health and really invited me into the conversations as well. So I'm excited.
1: It's beautiful. Um, I want to thank you guys so much. And um, I'm certain that this is not going to be the last Ash where you you were here contributing to the discussions that are ongoing. So um, let's keep doing great things and uh, we'll continue to cheer you on.
4: Thank you. Thank you. What an honor to be here.